1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.
2: One and two. <laughs> Hendricks got him! And for the first time since 2008, Sox fans will see home playoff baseball. The Chicago White Sox are winners of the AL Central. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Hall on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports station presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook.
3: Welcome back Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. I'm David Hall with Bruce Levine. Until 11 o'clock today, thank you to NBC Sports Chicago for that highlight from the White Sox clincher in Cleveland on Thursday. And that brings us to the scores guest hotline brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sportsbook, Bruce, and we have a special guest. We bring in the
4: vice president and general manager of your Chicago White Sox 2021 Central Division Champions Mr. Rick Hahn, nice enough to pick up the phone on a Saturday morning and join us. Good morning, Rick. And what are your feelings two days down the line about accomplishing this goal of winning a division for the first time in 13 years?
2: Uh, Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, You know, after a couple days of reflection, I think we all feel... Uh, fairly similarly to how we felt right as it happened, and that is it was a a very fine accomplishment, one that uh, deserves to be celebrated, one that was thoroughly celebrated by the team, in fact, prior to uh, or after the doubleheader concluded, but also one that just represents sort of that first step of what we're hoping to accomplish here. Uh, certainly being in the playoffs last year, given all the challenges associated with getting through the season, uh, was, a, was a great uh, accomplishment for everyone involved. But this year, having uh, solidifying the division over the course of a full six-month season, uh, we think represents another step forward. But again, not, uh, not quite at that final goal yet, which, which hopefully we find a way to reach in the next month or so.
3: Congratulations, Rick. I think that it says a lot about what you were able to do in the five year plan and all of those things. And I want to get to all of that. But in the immediacy of, of the moment, last night was difficult to see Dylan Cease leave that game under those circumstances. Can you tell us anything of new about his injury and the plans for his next start? You know,
2: you're exactly right. That's like the, the one thing after you after you finally clinch, and, and obviously there's still some seeding to be decided, but it seems fairly well set. Uh, the one thing you're just hoping is that you can get everyone through healthy and, and guys that are a little dinged up, get them a little rest and put everyone in the best position to succeed come next month and then you know first game after the clinch you get a you get a scary moment like we saw with dylan good thing is that the ball got him pretty flush in the tricep above the above the elbow uh... x-rays were negative and and really the the concern is simply uh, working out the bruising uh... he probably is going to feel a little stiffer today than he did last night but last night he felt really good and uh... the hope is that he'll be able to, to make his next start uh... sometime next week now obviously we have we have the off day Thursday, and we also want to start lining guys up for when we intend to use them uh, come that first series. So not exactly sure when that next start's going to be, but uh, knock on wood, he should be fine to make it whenever we draw
3: it up. And, Rick, it probably speaks to the resilience of your team that I have another question concerning a starting pitcher. Carlos Rodan <laughs> next week will we'll go to the mound, and you will probably evaluate him. And curious, number one, what you expect out of him and what you're looking for. Number two, how much of his health is tied to how you plan to use Michael Kopech in the playoffs?
2: They're related. They're not, they're not, uh, you know, specifically correlated. In other words, it's not where you need to stretch out Michael because of the concerns about the length with regards to Rodon going forward. Really with Michael, the plan all along had been let's put him in a position Uh, to do uh, a multitude of jobs come October. Uh, one being, as you saw him for a good portion of the year, a high leverage late inning, seventh, eighth inning type reliever, uh, to come in and, you know, hopefully punch a guy out here or there and get us out of a jam. And the other being that multi-inning weapon, you know, not entirely dissimilar from how, say, the Indians used Andrew Miller a few years back. Uh, so we've been able to you know use them successfully in both of those roles. And over the course of the next few or ten days, I should say, uh, we're going to continue to work to to stretch him out and hopefully get him in a position where, if needed, Tony could go to him for for three innings in a in an October contest. Now, with regards to Carlos, that does mean that if he were to start one of those games and for whatever reason have a have a shorter start, we would potentially have Michael behind him uh, for a multi- inning outing. It obviously, it doesn't have to necessarily be a Rodon start. could be anywhere along the line where we feel like, all right, you know what? Let's we're gonna pull the shoot early on the starter and go to a guy like Michael uh, for the next several innings to get us to that back end as a bridge. Uh, with regards to Carlos's health, you know it's it's really a, a situation where obviously he threw 11 innings last year. He didn't throw a ton the year before and he was fantastic for us for over 110 or 120 so far this season. So his his workload has caught up to him. Obviously we tried to manage it by giving him extra rest and the occasional IL stint as needed over the course of the season, but right now after uh doing this for 7 months or so, it's it's starting to catch up to him a little. Hopefully the the extra rest this week and treatment that he's going through helps him put him back in a position of being strong, and and we see uh, positive results from his next start. We're we're able to line him up for for one of those first few games come October.
4: That's the voice of Rick Hahn, the architect and vice president general manager of your Chicago White Sox, your Central Division champions for 2021. And Rick, if you can, I know you talk about team and group and – the, uh, the overall impact of everybody involved. If you can step back for a moment and, and just uh, talk a little bit about yourself, which I know is uncomfortable, uh, but uh, the idea of where you've come from in your career, uh, what this accomplishment, uh, I know it's a first step for this year, but what, it, what it, this accomplishment uh, is for you uh, and your family personally, after all these years, if you would just take a, a few minutes to talk about that i 'm sure uh, everyone will still understand that it 's all about the team and the people you work with
2: yeah you you, you hit the nail on the head and that, that's a that 's a tough one for me uh, simply because I do know how many people ranging from you know Jerry and Kenny at the top all the way down to our our area scouts and our international scouts who have been Plugging along at this thing for the last several years, and, and it's hard for me to individually feel—I uh, don't know—it's uh, it, sort of deserving of credit when I know that that credit should be spread among you know tens of people throughout the organization. I'll, uh, I'll interrupt you. I'll interrupt you
4: here, Rick, and say, what is the feel good for Gene and your your two boys and you <laughs> as far as? Where you're where you're at today, and uh, and the earned uh, uh, horse throat from two days ago after the celebration.
2: Yeah, you picked up on that then that hoarseness. I was yeah. a little concerned about going on <laughs> given the the raspiness here over the last few days. Uh, they're happy that the that uh their their father and, and husband is a little less grouchy around the house when uh, the the games are a little tight and that they they sort of know the schedule now going forward a little better uh you know what it, it I got an email how about how about this i got an email uh from a friend the other day and he said something to the effect of it was basically like, thank you for everything you've done for this organization. I wanted to share with you that in '08, my dad took me to the postseason when I was 12 years old. And now, thanks to the work of you and others in the organization, I'm going to be able to take my dad to a playoff game for the first time uh, that's come that's next month. Sweet. And, and that, that's the thing that hits me. That's the personal thing. That, that's, that's what you you know, having as you've heard, obviously over the years, having grown up here, having known what it means to how special it is to win in this city. Uh, when you hear about that sort of generational impact and fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and, and people's families uh, being able to celebrate this together, that's that's again perhaps a little soft or a little cheesy, but that's that's the part that speaks to me about why I wanted to do this and and that. You know, fills me and, and others with the, in the organization with a lot of pride, being able to and Rick, play a role in delivering that.
3: That had to be in the back of your mind uh, in December of 2016 when you made the move that signaled the beginning of all of this. You trade Chris Sale, and I know that wasn't easy at the time, but it did signal a shift in philosophy from the White Sox organization, I believe. And five years later, here we are celebrating the first division title in 13 years. I guess through those times, and I'm sure they weren't all like uh, good days, there were some bad days mixed in there along the way. What was the prevailing philosophy that I think helped you endure those tough times to know that good days like the ones you're enjoying now were were right around the corner?
2: It was really about let's uh, keep the focus on the long term and let's try to stack up smart move after smart move. And you're absolutely right, there's no guarantee it's all going to end up with a division championship, much less a a World Series championship or the sustained success that we need. Uh, But if over the course of time we felt we continue to invest in the future, internationally, domestically, with our player development programs, and continue to make good acquisitions or at least smart decisions about acquisitions at the time, that if we do enough of that, we're going to be in a much stronger position than we would be if we were just trying to piecemeal this thing on an annual basis. And along the way, a couple didn't quite go the way we wanted perhaps, but overall we were able to stack up enough smart moves and invest in them and surround them with talent that it was able to uh, continue to momentum, head in the right way, and put us in the position we're in right now.
4: Rick Hahn joining us for a few more minutes on Inside the Clubhouse. He's David. I'm Bruce. We're talking baseball here on the score 52 weeks out of the year, Saturday mornings. And Rick, um, handling of pitching, in, from my perspective, was a, a big reason why you made a change in the manager's role from last year to this year. What has been your perception of how, Tony LaRussa has fit into that role as manager, handler of pitching and men in 2021?
2: You know, obviously that's uh, one of the, of the many strong attributes on his resume, the handling of the bullpen and the pitching staff is certainly, certainly on that list. So we, we had some inkling of what we were getting and how it was going to play out. Uh, but I feel like the dialogue that we've been able to have with him on a, on a, Near daily basis, and and the role that Ethan Katz and Kurt Hassler have played, and and, and James Cruck and the training staff, in terms of trying to monitor workload, trying to be respectful of the fact that you know these guys played sixty games last year, and now we're asking them to get through you know one hundred and sixty-two plus. Uh, and there's had to be at times where you've had to, you know, quite frankly, potentially lose a battle in order to win the longer term war. To keep these guys healthy and in a position to be productive. Uh, Tony's been uh, in tune with that throughout the year and, and I think has played an important role in not only helping us squeeze out as many victories as we can, even at times when guys have been a little dinged up or perhaps unavailable but also help keep that clubhouse environment focused on what matters. Obviously, we want to win every game that we possibly can, but we're playing for something, in our opinion, larger this season than any individual game. So let's at sometimes have to adjust our usage in order to uh, serve that that longer-term, greater goal.
3: Rick, you made a trade at the deadline that put the present ahead of the future. Nick Madrigal, Cody Hoyer to the Cubs, Craig Kimbrell coming back in return. And the type of season Kimber was having at the time, nobody really flinched because you are here to win a World Series this year. That is the mentality. Kimber was inconsistent and has been. Last night he was filthy. (laughs) Struck out the side. That's the guy I think that you need to see in October. But I guess what makes you feel like you're going to see the guy we saw last night in the postseason as opposed to the inconsistent guy that we have seen since he came to the White Sox?
2: No, it's a it's a fair question. In fact, yesterday uh, when I got back to Chicago, uh, I went by my parents' house in the afternoon and dropped off you know a couple of Central Division Championship hats for them. And my dad's reaction to getting his hat was, "Tell Kimbrel not to throw the curveball to lefties anymore."
4: So that was really helpful.
2: Uh, and then, you know, <laughs> later in the day, of course, after uh, I think it was Zimmer who he punched out on on through four knuckle curves to him and he swung through a couple and we punched him out i sent my dad the the little pitch log to him and said thanks for your advice uh... so <laughs> everyone obviously <laughs> wants to get craig right uh... The fact is, is as you, you saw, that dominance is there uh, last night on display. You've seen it throughout his career. There's a, obviously a Hall of Fame caliber track record behind this player. Uh, that, yes, there has been a couple mechanical things that we've been able to pick up on and that he's been able to address. And, and you know, given that history and given that the stuff is as strong as ever, I think that uh, we're going to see more nights like we did last night going forward than uh, the ones that are apparently concerning my dad.
4: So, so, Rick, I used my Chicago Public School um, background and my Southern Illinois University background in math to, to work on a, a number that I found intriguing. Your club has been getting dissed all year for not winning more games against teams that are over 500. But in reality, you have played 29 games less against those kind of teams than any other team in baseball that is competitive and, and, and less than anybody in baseball against over 500 teams, period. So from that perspective, that, that entire stat changes and we know all these numbers go out once you get into the playoffs and you just start over. But from the perspective of not getting enough respect for uh, having played over 500 teams, I think it kind of this number kind of negates the idea that you, you've hardly even played many teams over 500 uh, over that period of time.
2: No, look, we've had a we don't spend too much time concerned about the the sort of overall matchups against teams over 500. It's it's a little bit more about. Uh, you know, when we have a, a lousy series like we had at Houston or, you know, against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium, uh, what was behind that? You know, we, we obviously played Toronto tough. We played Tampa tough. Uh, when Houston was our place, it seemed to be a different series. And we sort of uh, try to unpack what was behind, you know, the different performances. Sometimes you're just going to have lousy streaks. You guys obviously know that over the course of, of six months it happens. Uh, was that was that play when we were you know down at Minute Maid or at Yankee Stadium? And, and so, is it just going to correct itself, or is there something you know greater going on in terms of our approach or, or how we're preparing for those series it, from an analytical standpoint or the in-person advanced scouting standpoint? So uh, again, it, it, the overall record it's about. Winning, putting yourself in the best position to win in the division and however you get to that number is, is really of less concern over the course of the season. But as we enter the postseason and you look back at some of those series, you want to be able to correct whatever flaws may have existed uh, when you were going to, through those teams earlier in the year.
3: Rick, executives tend to see a different game, maybe look for different things and, and, and essentially have different experiences than maybe fans or media throughout the course of a long season. In that context, what was the most satisfying moment for you this season when you reflect back on, on the year? Oh, wow.
2: Well, hopefully it hasn't happened yet. But in the, <laughs> where we've been so far this year, oh, that's a great question. You know, I, I feel like it, maybe it goes back a little bit to uh, – actually, you know what? I know the answer. The 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 moment actually didn't happen during a game. It was on the the day of the trade the trade deadline after we made the the Kimbrel acquisition, and going into the clubhouse and and going into the coach's room and just the overwhelming feeling of excitement uh, from staff members, from players who were you know coming up and giving us high fives and hugs and just the the level of excitement of the team that felt. Uh, not only are we a really good team with a, a good chance to get into the postseason, but this organization is doing everything in their power to put us in the best position to succeed. And just that feeling that everyone being on the same page and that, yes, uh, this is the, you know, this, hopefully the start of a good era and, and the culmination or the, or the, the positive side of a, of a successfully completed rebuild, which required organizational alignment, feeling that sort of excitement from the guys who are the boots on the ground, the guys who are at the front line, the coaches and the players and the staff, that was a, that was a really good feeling to to for them to know that we had their back and that we were all, you know, pushing through together to do everything we can to win a championship.
4: Rick, uh, I have one more question, but before I get to that, I want to thank you for, uh, mitch rosen and congratulate you for mitch rosen and everybody at the score for uh this number one uh success for the 2021 season hopefully it'll continue on for all of you but uh david and i were talking about um what stood out for us the most about the white sox good bad or indifferent and to me uh i told david that um tim anderson being out and tim anderson being in the lineup healthy was so significant as far as how the white sox play baseball i wonder what your thoughts are i know you don't like to isolate one player but um your perspective on anderson and his impact on the team
2: no you guys you absolutely hit the nail on the head it's it's just a different dynamic especially on offense when when tim's in the lineup versus when he's not there's uh a greater energy. There's obviously a stronger offensive production, and he really plays an important role in, in setting the tone. You know, it's it's and after after we clinched the, the other day when you know he and I you know ran into each other in the clubhouse and embraced. I, I said that to him directly. I said, "You made it clear today that this was ending today, and you set the tone just like you always do when things are, are going well." And and I think he embraces that role, uh, part of it being. One of our guys, a homegrown guy who's been through us, you know, through it all with us through the rebuild and now on this other side of it, I think he embraces that role. It fits well with his personality and obviously with his ability. So uh, certainly, uh, as you point out, there's a lot of guys that, that help put us in this position, but uh, T.A. certainly deserves to be singled out as someone who, who helps to set that tone.
3: Rick, thank you for your time. Congratulations on the division title and keep it going.
2: I appreciate it, guys. You be well.
3: Rick Hahn, the vice president and general manager of the Chicago White Sox, Bruce. Terrific conversation. I know we have a lot to react to. You may want to chime in as well. 312 644 6767 White Sox talk here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. He's also going right after
2: him, which is something that is refreshing compared to some of the other outings he's had this year. Oh, goodness. That goes off of Dylan Cease. And that's going to be a hit for Bradley Zimmer. My goodness. Well, let's hope it's not off the pitching elbow. And it is. We'll watch it again. And Dylan is hurting. Oh, I think it got him right on the right. Good thing elbow. is the ball got him pretty flush in the tricep, above the above the elbow. Uh, X-rays were negative, and and really the the concern is simply working out the bruising. Uh, he probably is going to feel a little stiffer today than he did last night, but last night he felt really good, and uh, the hope is that he'll be able to to make his next start uh, sometime next week.
3: Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 to the score. That was the voice of Rick Hahn talking about the injury to Dylan Cease Friday night against the Indians in Cleveland. Thank you to NBC Sports Chicago for highlights from that play. Bruce, and we just got done with a really interesting interview with Rick Hahn. I love it when a guy comes armed with anecdotes to an interview, and he had plenty. Um, What was your overall reaction to talking to Rick in terms of, you know, he was taking – I don't want to say he was taking a bow. that's, That's us kind of giving him the opportunity to talk about a job well done because it was clear to me they don't feel like this is anything but step one and they have bigger goals and greater objectives in their mind. Well, I
4: always love the intelligence of Rick Hahn. And by that, I don't mean uh, his schooling or that he went to Harvard or Michigan or anything like that, but that he listens so well and he stays in the moment of a question so well. And as you said, comes with anecdotes right away uh, from that. So to me, it's it's the perfect guy to interview because he'll, he'll g- give you information and he'll add into that. But I, I think... Um, I think just uh, trying to take him into his own personal success away from what they do as a team was difficult, and I like that in an executive. I really enjoy the fact that uh, he doesn't put himself above other people, that he really does, as you heard, include Jerry Reinsdorf and and Kenny Williams right away as being part of that uh, three-headed monster that runs the Chicago White Sox, with a lot of other people who are very essential uh, to that as well. So he doesn't lose track of that. Um, I think his his sense of humor and intelligence comes through. And uh, on a personal side, uh, he's just a really good guy uh, and uh, and uh, somebody that I've become friends with over the years. Something you can you can do both personally and professionally. Although those Relationships change, as you know, David, having done this for as long as you have, where you bounce back between we're friends. But you ask me something or say something about me. um, I'm going to react to you like I don't know you, you know, because uh, that's the nature of business. And being able to separate the two is uh, essential and sometimes
3: very difficult. What was your reaction to Rick Hahn's interview, 312-644-6767? Let us know because I think there was a lot there, Bruce. Okay, so compliments, they can come later. Context in the now. He talked about Dylan Cease. We heard the hope that it is a bruise that they can work through uh, when Dylan Cease wakes up today and he can make another start. Did you hear anything that gives you pause when expecting the best case scenario when it comes to who is probably the White Sox number three starter heading into October? I think the thing that stood out the most
4: was uh, the stuff about Rodan. Okay. So I'm segueing away from Cease and yep. saying, well, ho- hopefully he's going to be okay. But Rick was very forthcoming on Rodan hitting the 20-inning mark, not having pitched at all basically the year before. The year before that, Tommy John, uh, and all of the arm and shoulder issues that go into Rodon. And then the unsaid, which is the Rodon side of, yes, I want to compete. Yes, I want to help our team win. Yes, I want to be a part of a championship. But also, I'm going to be a free agent after this year. Okay, I have to be uh, as careful about myself for the team as I am for myself and my family and my future. That has those are the untold stories of athletes who are going through what Carlos Rodon is going through right now, wanting to come back, wanting to compete, wanting to win, but not ruining the rest of what could be a really great career at only age twenty eight because of all the arm issues that he's had throughout his career with the Chicago White Sox.
3: Great point, Bruce, always looking ahead, even though there's so many things in, in the present, uh, the future is something that you, you cannot ignore, especially when it comes to Carlos Rodon. I also liked Rick Hans honesty about Craig Kimbrell. I mean, the, the story, the story about his father, you know, trying in awesome. about what he should throw. That was hilarious. And it also spoke to, you know, acknowledging what everybody else has seen. You know, Craig Kimbrell last night was was just great. And that was the guy that we have seen on occasion and what's going to get him one day into the Hall of Fame. But he hasn't been that guy since putting on a White Sox uniform. For whatever reason, I wondered if you feel like that honesty about what Kimbrell can be, but what he has been, also could lead to a shorter uh, well, of patience when it comes to Craig Kimbrell in the postseason. Do you think the White Sox will stick with him, even though, if he does struggle, or will it be a quick hook by Tony Larusa?
4: I just think it, it depends on the day. You can't afford not to have a quick hook, and and that's why you pay Tony Larusa. That's why you bring in Tony Larusa. That's why he's sitting there because he can make that uncomfortable move, like he did when Kimberl first came to the team, of taking him out in a save situation. Uh, after he struck somebody out because he thought the next best matchup was bummer against a left-hander than Kimbrell, like Rick Hahn's father said. So, uh, <laughs> from, so uh, that was a, a very uncomfortable moment if you think back about a month ago when that occurred, and they had to have a discussion after that game to get back on the same page, and both made their points. That's why you have a manager like that, but... As far as Kimbrell's success or lack of success, in this day and age, David, people expect video game results. They expect you watching a video game, uh, MLB the show, you're watching a uh, a documentary of results of numbers that have been predicted, projected, and results that should occur. And they just don't always happen. And that's the still the joy, excitement, and sorrow of watching live professional sports at its highest level. And that's what Chicago fans are going to get to watch here with the Chicago White Sox over the next three or four weeks or hopefully more than a month going into a World Series.
3: 312-644-6767, the score listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books, download the BetQL app today or visit betql.com. That's where we find Scott in Highland Park. Scott, welcome inside the clubhouse. Hey, guys. Uh, listen, terrific interview with Rick Hahn. Uh, boy, he sure deserves so much credit for putting this team together. Uh, and also, first, I love your insight on Tim Anderson. He's the straw that stirs the drink, kind of like what Rizzo in a different way did for the Cubs i got two questions for you. With Keuchel, don't you think uh, it's clear that Dallas has got a lot of experience, but he's not going to be a starter. Do you think Tony should be maybe using him in the middle of the long relief to get him ready, you know, for the playoffs? And do, are you concerned about the lack of
0: velocity
3: with uh,
2: the decrease in velocity with Kimbrell? Great show. I'll hang up to listen to what you have to say.
3: Good question, Scott. Bruce, the, the, the decline in velocity is something from Kimbrell. I think that he has been up and down, but – What are your thoughts on Keichel? I hadn't considered giving him a cameo as a reliever in the final week of the season. See, with a starting
4: pitcher his whole career, you can't bring him in to a middle of an inning, okay? It's impossible. He doesn't have uh, the muscle memory to be able to just warm up with 12 pitches and come into a game. So if you're going to use Keichel as a relief pitcher – he is going to have to, just like if you think back to the World Series and you think how the Cubs used uh, John Lester in game seven of the World Series, you have to remember that it was scripted by Joe Madden. And Joe Madden had to wear it even after winning a World Series because it didn't all work out quite as well as the script uh, was written down. And the fact that you're going to have to plan ahead for Keiko to get the proper amount of pitches in before you bring him into a clean inning. That's the only way he's going to be successful for you is if you uh, say, well, um, you know, Rodon's starting this game, but if he's having trouble, we start to warm up Keiko, and he automatically comes in in the fourth inning or the fifth inning. That is something to keep in mind because this is not a guy that can just get up, throw 15 pitches, come into the ball game, and and be and feel like he's going to be
3: able to get people out. And it speaks to how inconsistent he has been, frankly, that you are more inclined to consider the experiment, if you will, of Michael Kopeck opening a game with three innings, if you will, uh, than going to Dallas Keuchel, a veteran who basically you signed for. October, you signed for his presence, but he's not been that guy, even though last time out, a little bit better, Bruce, but 11 hits, scattering those, only two runs. You'd like to see some more consistency. Maybe he can build off that yeah. in his next start heading into October.
4: D- ditch, the def- ditch the defensive switching and metrics when Keuchel is out there. He's a ground ball pitcher. He's giving up harder barrel contact. Deepen up your defensive players, have them play their natural position, and you have a little bit better chance of Dallas Keuchel being successful.
3: What do you mean there? What what do you mean about who who are you talking about specifically?
4: Defensive switching has hurt pitchers like Keuchel who have lost some of their stuff along the way and are getting getting barreled more than often. The balls are going through harder, okay, but they're also going through positions where the defense – you know, rightfully so. The metrics are, are are not always they're not they're not always hundred percent, but they're I, smart. But in a I, ground ball pitcher situation like Keichel, just give him the confidence that people will be at their normal positions and he can pitch his normal game. What's going on between the ears of Keichel when he looks at his defense
3: is just as important as where they're standing when he's pitching a game. Bruce, you just touched on something that I think is my biggest concern for the White Sox heading into October. I do kind of align myself with Steve Stone when he says, you know, the postseason and the regular season aren't as connected as some people want to believe based on those numbers. But I look at the White Sox. I don't really have that many concerns about their lineup I think they're going to hit. I trust their starting pitching. I I think their bullpen might rise to the occasion. Defensively, I'm concerned. I think that when you're in the playoffs – when you have a team that wins, they typically are ones that play tight defense and they're smart on the bases. Those are the two areas that, frankly, I worry about the most with the White Sox in October.
4: Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm with you. I've been with you all year long. And uh, because of the fact that Robert wasn't in the lineup for a good majority of the year, I thought the, the outfield and, and because of Engel, who's a, a superior defender, not being in the uh, outfield, I think there were games lost – that were not obvious uh, because of outfield defense. Uh, not not guys making errors, but not guys not being able to get the balls that these two superior outfielders do get to. And uh, and and I think that's hopefully going to be tightened up. Although Angle came out again yesterday with some injury situations. It's been that kind of year, unfortunately, for Adam Angle. But I'm in agreement with you. You know, people uh, get nauseated when they hear me talking about pitching and defense or stone talking about pitching and defense or you talking about pitching and defense because it's not very exciting. It, right. it's, you know there's no 450 foot home run attached to it. There's no you know some, no, no tremendous substance that you can put on on any comment that you make other than when you've watched enough baseball and you know baseball, you know you don't win without it and And to have Anderson at top form at shortstop, and Robert at top form at center field, those things are going to make a difference in postseason if
3: they're out there performing at one hundred percent. And as disappointing as Cesar Hernandez has been at second base, hitting and and however you want to describe your disappointment with him at the bottom of the batting order, he could justify that deal with one big play in October because he is a gold glove second baseman he is a guy that gives you a little bit better feeling about your defensive infield so that that possibility still exists and you're exactly right defense and pitching it's all about that in October Bruce you know what's back by popular demand chin music and we will have chin music when we come back here for our final segment on inside the clubhouse here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score High
1: and inside. Time
2: for some chin music. Hey, um, how about a warning? Sure. Watch out you don't get killed. (laughs) Because sometimes in baseball, you've got to send a strong message, especially when someone has it coming. Each Saturday, David and Bruce come in high and tight with a response to something that deserves
1: one, like this. I love John Lester like a brother, um, but I want to kick his tail every time he's out there. So, like, no, I don't think that's—I don't think that's something that—that um, that, you know, there's any secret to that. I, he knows that? I don't. Uh, you know, I think I have probably been torn with the 200 thing. I'm glad he did it when he did. It Wasn't against us. Um, but other than that, no. i We. I have a responsibility and obligation. Um, You know, my heart feels one way, and and my job and my competitiveness uh, is completely on the other side. So um, I wouldn't say there's a whole lot in there that, um, you know, it's, I guess, maybe a little bit easier to accept when he has success, maybe a little bit. But um, I think the last time he pitched against us, we we did pretty good, so I don't know what that feels like yet.
3: Inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, that was David Ross talking about John Lester, former Cub, former National, former Red Sox pitcher who was on the mound today going for victory number 201 career-wise against the Cubs. Adrian Sampson, first pitch this afternoon in 120 pregame here on the score, 1245. Bruce, you were there. David Ross talking about John Lester. Of course you don't want to see him do well, especially not when he's on your mound, in your stadium, in your baseball city. Rock him like it's batting practice. Not so sure about that. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily – I mean,
4: does Ross want to win as much or more than anybody in the Cub organization? 100%. But you're talking about, David, one of his very best friends in the world – One of the major reasons, the major reason, without question, that he was brought to the Chicago Cubs was because of John Lester and the personal handling that he was going to give him coming over as a free agent that signed a $126 million, I'm sorry, $155 million contract for six years, was the support system of David Ross, who probably was close to being on the outside looking in for, for, for continuing his career on a competitive team at that point. So this move, because of Ross, changed the entire course of David Ross's life.
3: Yeah, okay. Yesterday you give him a video tribute. Today you give him the bums rush. Come on now. He's in Cardinals laundry. They're going for 15 victory in a row. They're trying to make history. You don't want John Lester to rub it in even deeper. Look, he was a great pickup for the Cardinals. The dreaded, hated, awful Cardinals, Bruce. He's 4-1 and one since he got there. It looks weird seeing John Lester in a Cardinal uniform, and it's going to look even weirder today if he beats the Cubs.
4: Yeah, well, there's no hard feelings on his end, and the Cubs are going nowhere. So um, I, will conti- I would off the air, we can continue, continue this debate about whether Ross would be upset if the Cubs lost to John Lester or somebody else. I don't doubt that David Ross is upset about a loss every day, and in, in particular, an ugly loss like the second game of yesterday's doubleheader because that was one of the worst Cub losses that I've watched
3: from a competitive side in many, many years. This is as far as I'll go, Bruce. I want Cardinals, White Sox in the World Series. I want that drama, and then I want Sox to sweep and maybe have John Lester on the mound for game four. How's that? It's all right. I wouldn't mind Brewers, White Sox either. People to thank, in particular,
4: Adam Stadzinski for a job well done as our great producer, Rick Hahn for joining us, taking some time out to be with us today in a great interview. David, thank you. We also uh, want to remind people I can be found on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. And on our website at 670thescore.com, I write every day for, about the White Sox and Cubs. I will
3: talk to you next week, David. Thanks, Bruce. Great job. Mark Grody is next, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the Score.